This week, we watched the delightful robotic love story Wally, and along the way we asked, is Wally just being strung along by Eve? How lazy do you have to be to just become a blob? And could a pizza plant actually be a thing? Maybe not, but this is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome to what is sure to be another delightful time on the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. I am your host, Chris Rupp, and I am joined by my co-host... The great overlord, Sean Culp. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, you uh, you putting all that on business cards again? Yeah, actually, I am. <laughs> welcome. Hello, my name is Sean Michael Culp. I'm the omnipresent overlord. He's even adopted a British accent, folks. Wrong along. Wrong along. <laughs> Be afraid of the British villain. Anyway, uh, enough theatrics aside, welcome again to another thrilling edition of the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast, where, as we mentioned, we are discussing WALL-E. Yes. The delightful 2008 Pixar animated film. Speaking for myself, I had a fun time re-watching it th- for this week. It was a blast from the past, from my childhood. I really enjoyed it. Well, not really childhood, but teen years. Yeah. This, when you're so This angry. came out when I was 17. Same. And this was just right in my wheelhouse Mm because everybody still loves Pixar. And this was such a departure for what they had done normally before. Go figure. Like they had, they never done a sci-fi film up until this point. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Well, now you do. Wow. (laughs) Their first ever attempt at sci-fi and they crushed it. They crushed it. Knocked it out of the park. So fun fact. So I actually saw this film because our producer, Jeremy recommended it. We had like a family reunion. And so it was just like a bunch of like the extended family and we're all at Portillo's and the adults are like, we're going to go drink. And so it was a bunch of these kids and Jeremy's like, you want to go see Wally? And they're like, yeah, let's go see Wally. So then we all went. (laughs) It was great call by Jeremy and it made my very angsty teenage youth just kind of whittle a little bit. I I felt something. Your heart was melted by an adorable little trash compacting robot. I actually cried and my cousin Coral made fun of me. She's like, really, Sean? You're going to cry over a robot? It's so beautiful. (laughs) For those individuals who have not yet seen WALL-E, Let's uh let's provide a little synopsis of the film. Ooh, I got you, buddy. Now, consider this your spoiler alert for this episode as the statute of limitations have run out on this. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen the film, I suggest pausing here. It's been 11 years, man. All right, man. you're back. All right, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so Wally is about a uh, solitary trash compactor robot on a future, uninhabitable, deserted Earth, left to clean up garbage. However, he's visited by a probe sent by the starship, Axiom, whom he falls in love with and pursues across the galaxy. That's a very uh, clinical synopsis of it. Wow. Yeah? You're going to break down my synopsis? (laughs) Well, I mean, he's more (laughs) than just, um, like, sorting garbage. I mean, he's building literal skyscrapers of trash. They are. Which is a very impressive visual as w- it's a it's a very harsh introduction to the world totally. that we are living in. You see it and you're like, oh, sky, oh, trash skyscraper. Everything's very dusty and dirty. Uh, there's no birds. There's no other life. And next, next by these not so pristine skyscrapers, we see other skyscrapers, and it turns out they're little trash cubes. It's terrible. 
it's a desolate future. It's a yeah, it's a bleak look. I seven hundred years into the future. I did like how because when they pan over and they see the trash uh, skyscrapers, I'm like, how the heck did he climb? And then you see like the rows as he builds mm-hmm. and like in closer and closer. It was kind of it was very well thought out. Yeah, it's very it impressive that a, a tiny little robot could build these. 70 story skyscrapers of just trash and he's the only one after 700 years that's still kicking so being that this is our first animated movie that we are discussing here on the show we thought it'd be interesting to go into a bit of backstory on pixar and what goes into making an animated film time lots and (laughs) lots of time Angry so, sweats. <laughs> so for starters, this movie was uh, written and directed by Andrew Stanton, who to say that he is an essential part of the story of Pixar is not an understatement. No. Because prior because prior to doing Wally, he directed A Bug's Life and Finding Nemo, was a writer on Toy Story, Toy Story 2, and Monsters Incorporated, and was a producer of Ratatouille. And if those were his only credits on his IMDb page, that would be a very impressive resume. He could retire on that alone. Oh, man. But wait, let's also not forget the beloved John Carter that he wrote and directed. (laughs) (laughs) The beautiful John Carter. Pixar, Disney was like, you're great at cartoons. Here, let's give you a live action film. This is going to be amazing. That was after Wally, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're like, you got a best picture nod for Toy Story. Here. Well, he continues to be a big part of the legacy yeah. and works of Pixar. I mean, and we were talking about this off air. I think if you were going to do a Mount Rushmore of people essential to Pixar's history, he has to be on that. Oh, definitely. He is the man. He's like the Steven Spielberg of animation. Yeah, he actually conceived this movie in the mid-90s, in 1994. And the thing you have to understand with while working on an animated film is it goes through many iterations and versions before we get to what we see on the screen. Now, it may start off as an idea, but like with any ideas that become a movie, you have to develop it and give it time and consideration I think at one point in Monsters, Inc., the roles were reversed at some point, and Mike was actually the big monster, and Sully was just a lowly like factory worker. I would love to see that film. <laughs> I would love it. But then in the final version, the roles were switched. Yep. Whereas at first iteration of Wally, there were actually no humans in the film. No. At one point, the- they were written as green gelatinous aliens. Oh, my gosh. So, like, jello cubes with <laughs> eyes just going around, I guess. I don't know. Thank God we did not get that film. Yeah. I, but <laughs> to go from 1994 to 2008 is you have a very long time for development. And to put that into reference, that's waiting from Incredibles 1 to Incredibles 2. <laughs> yeah. Well, the... He wanted to make other things. Yeah. I don't blame it, being pigeonholed into doing the same thing no. over and over. Everything has to be thought out, All the every sequence, every bit, bit of dialogue. Oh, now, yeah. normal films get about 75,000 storyboards. Mm-hmm. Wally had over 125,000. That's just nuts. I want to see those storyboard panels, to be honest, because there's 100. I mean, you can probably maybe fit 100 uh, storyboards on one panel. So there's probably about Dude. over 12,000 storyboard panels <laughs> just with all those uh, pasted on there and with the director's and writer's notes. It's insane. You can find some of them, actually, because I'm looking at Google right now, and it's just nuts. It's like they're drawing scene by scene by scene. 
And it's crazy, too. I mean, and Stanton also had to write dialogue for the robots. Yeah. Now, mostly it's just, you know, sounds and warbles and, you know, wowls and yeah, it's brrr, like, like noises it's like, like, like that. It's like Groot from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Because mm-hmm. Wally, basically, he just... And then he says... Wally. He says Wally and Eva. Yeah. Eva's the one that's kind of audible that can speak a little bit. Yeah, but and also too, it makes it easier for your sound designers to actually give life to these characters. And Ben Burt returned to do the sound for all the robots in the movie. It's so crazy. And it was interesting to read up on that because he had actually swore off of doing another robot film after he finished up with the Star Wars trilogy. Oh, he was in the Star Wars trilogy? Well, he, yeah, he well, he did the sound design for all of the films, uh, the original films and the prequel films. So once the prequel films were done, he didn't want to do robots anymore. And then this opportunity came up and he couldn't pass it up. He actually recorded twice the amount of sounds that he normally would have done for a Star Wars film. That is so cool. Thanks for going in, Ben Burt. You're the man. The man literally sound designed our childhoods with Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Wally. Again, it is not an understatement to say that Ben Burt is a Hollywood legend and we thank you, sir. Yes. If you are out there somehow listening to a tiny little <laughs> podcast that is singing your praises. You are the man. Hashtag Ben Burt. But also, too, um, another collaborator of Andrew Stanton returned on this movie, Thomas Newman, who composed the music. And this is probably some of his best work. And Thomas Newman is a legend in the film composing community because he's done, did films like Road to Perdition and Recent Memory. He did uh, Skyfall. Oh, another solid. Oh, he. If you want a film with an incredible intro, watch Skyfall. Mm-hmm. It's just insane. Absolutely. Watch I wholeheartedly it. agree with that. But he actually had three years to work on the score for this movie, and wow, it paid off. It definitely. It's it's some of his best work, and I was shocked that he didn't win an Oscar for this because it's yeah, it's, it's beautiful it's, music that he wrote. I wonder what he lost to. But we're biased. We just watched the film. So, <laughs> you know, so we but, aren't getting but in paid a, by But Pixar. in an outstanding career like Thomas Newman, when you make a movie, yeah. when you do a score like this that stands out above most of your other works, yes, it deserves some consideration. I'll co-sign that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, with all that aside, let's uh, let's start unpacking the movie, shall we? Oh, let's yeah, unpack. Unpack this movie. Like I love when people say unpack. Unpack this movie like it's a garbage I'm cube. I'm viewing the Wally suitcase. And we're like, do do do. Ooh, the plot. The well, synopsis. Like, it's not as straightforward of a movie as you think it is. Actually, no. It's the opening like 30 minutes. There's like no humans. There's yeah. no. Actually, I think it's like 40 minutes before we meet the captain and he says anything. This is a tale of two movies, and I love it when movies do this. It's a credit to the writers and director when they're able to pull this off well. Oh, For yeah. the first half hour, 40 minutes or so, you think this is going to be a love story between Wally and Eve, mm-hmm. and then it develops into this recolonization space romp. Yeah, that was where the sci-fi came in. Definitely. The second half by far. But the first half is so cute. You're just like, oh. Because he's such a klutz. Eve comes down and he tries to like show his love to her and he just keeps stumbling all over himself. Well, he has all these great personality quirks to him. He does. He collects these trinkets that even he doesn't know what the, like, the lighters and rubber the Rubik's ducks. Cube, <laughs> the rubber ducks, the light bulbs. And he likes that film, uh, Hello, Dolly. Oh, <laughs> which is so cute. He's dancing to it. He even finds a like a well, I think it's like a garbage can lid so he can yeah, do yeah, the, yeah, the, the moves where he it. takes off his hat and the parasols and everything. He's so cute, man. But how is how is Pixar able to imbue more 
personality in a tiny robot than in, any of their other characters in previous films. I have no idea. I think speaking from a filmmaking perspective, you strip down the bombastic traits that people associate with their characters, but you just bring it down to the basic level. Yeah. Like Wally has an appreciation for old musicals. Mm-hmm. But maybe maybe not so much that he loves Hello Dolly, but he appreciates the message behind it, you know, the happiness, the joy, yeah, the he- love, the longing to belong to something. Um, collecting, I mean, everybody has a collection of something, but Wally has this collection of little trinkets. Like, little trinkets. Even he doesn't know what they're all used for. He's just, he but just everybody can appreciate having a, a knickknack collection. Yeah, he ta- he like finds a bra and he thinks it's glasses. He just puts <laughs> he it just on and goes, "Wow." <laughs> just great comedic timing in this film but you're right i think that they do strip it down to the like the classic old themes that we all forget and he's very as we grow up expressive in too especially with those binocular style eyes i love when he moves them up and down <laughs> yeah so cool and he's got a cockroach as a pet yes that, and i was gonna say he runs over that freaking cockroach like five times he keeps bouncing back that indestructible cockroach. Which is amazing that in 700 years, nothing has survived Earth except this one cockroach and, and its best friends with a trash cubing <laughs> robot. And it lives in a Twinkie. Yeah. <laughs> Twinkies have survived too. I know. I was like, are they going to show the Twinkie? They do. We've got cockroaches and Twinkies that survive 700 <laughs> years after humans have left an uninhabitable Earth. <laughs> It's crazy. Solid. They just took all of our societal questions and answered them all in one cute film. They want to bring this up too. There's no red shirts in this movie. None. Nobody dies that is that is just not needed to die you know? No like we tried because there's a robot that gets splashed in the pool and electrocuted but it's more like these humans finally discover a pool in 700 years and they're like, ooh, let's swim. And the robot's like, stop swimming. No splashing. Yeah. And then it's like, and it's just John's way of telling, hey, you know, go away. And yeah. And then it just short circuits him. <laughs> and then there's the other uh, little, I guess, uh, henchman robot. Yeah. Uh, gopher. It's stopping him. Yeah. And then the captain just kicks him out the window. That was me. Oh, but they there was no bloodshed. Yeah, for a kids' film. But I figured. You well, know. we try to also argue Otto as the red shirt, but really he just got turned off. Yeah, I couldn't. Like I was saying before, I couldn't remember how Otto gets defeated. Could spend like eleven years. Mm-hmm. I thought because the captain's so fat that when he's like holding onto it, the weight of him would just pull the wheel off. And no, he just pushes the button. He turns him off, and that robot is jacked, man. That I'm robot is definitely able. a nod to HAL 9000 in 2001, yes. A Space Odyssey. Oh, yes. You see the red light, and it's like, dude, the callback. Most of the movie, at least in the second half, is definitely a hard nod to A Space Odyssey. Totally. Even down to the music cues, especially when the captain stands Rising up. Rising up. <laughs> so it, His so this movie does legs. owe a lot to, to 2001, but this movie does a great job of, in a way, turning those tropes on its head. Okay. You know, I mean, you would expect humans to be vibrant and eagerly awaiting their return to Earth. Instead, they've become these- Oh, you have a very positive view of how the world's going to turn. Well, no. When I saw this, I'm like, this is exactly how the future is going to be. We're all going to be just- blobs that are used to I'm saying in normal sci in normal films where we see a bunch of humans on a ship like this yeah they're eagerly awaiting some colonization or return to earth at some point super healthy yeah but now they've become all gelatinous blobs and they're eating their food out of straws and they're just attached to their screens all the time right 
I was wondering how they like reproduce, even have kids. I'm like, is it all? I don't even know. Yeah, because they're all so fat. <laughs> like, like I mean, even that graph that shows their loss of bone density—they're like separated. How are they not just all sagging too? <laughs> just balls of jello. Yeah, just they're just—they're just rolling around. Yeah, they're just sitting in their chairs. They—they they have to have so bad sores on their butts. It's got to be insane. Unless those... do they have like a chair? Like, do they buy the chairs? Like, there's the uh, car salesman, but he's a chair salesman. Now this chair over here. <laughs> It's got 2,600 more foam like cushions on it, so you're going to want that. This um, is the waterbed chair. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> they got a haggle. And like the kid chair. Did they show the kids with the little baby chairs? They did it. No. No, the babies were out of the chairs. Yeah, but I thought it was twisted the way the nanny teacher robot was saying like, A is for Axiom, your home of the future. Oh, totally. Well, yeah, because uh, B&L. By and large, basically own the entire world. Yeah. That's like the corporation that basically, yeah, they're, they're a monopoly. I would love to see a movie that explores that side of it. Like, how does a corporation end up running the entire world? And right? I'd say the beginning part of the film takes place maybe in the early 22nd century. So within the next 80 years between 2019 and early you know, 2100 maybe, how does a corporation start running the world? Their lobbyists must just like crush it. It has to be. SpaceX, we're or, looking at you. Or the whole monopoly legislation, anti-monopoly legislation have gone, has just gone away. Right, somehow they decided Elon Musk was like, we don't need this legislation. <laughs> I'm going to save the world. Me and Tesla by my side. But the technology that the Axiom uses is pretty advanced for being developed in the early 22nd century. Because I mean, you have, I mean, we mentioned food in a cup that just yeah. comes at you. I mean, cheeseburgers, pizza, french fries, you know, all the fatty things that just come at you in a cup. Um, these highly advanced robots that just do are at your beck and call. Always. Those poor robots, man. Just always waiting on the whim of humans. Because we're talking about the only robots basically that kind of divert and evolve is Wally and Eve. Yeah. Like Otto doesn't evolve at all, the villain. Well, you have to, you have to think too that Wally and Otto have to be roughly the same age, right? Yeah, they're both probably 700 years yeah. old. And yet Wally in that time has learned to grow beyond his programming. Yes, he's still doing trash cubes, but instead of just doing the cubes... He's building the skyscrapers because he, because it's something he thinks is fun to do. Yeah, he's got that's that's so cool. Like the little guy, he's got a personality of his yeah. own. He wants love and holding hands. And yet Otto is rigidly stuck within his program. He has not learned to grow or evolve or care for what he's doing do over the last seven hundred years. That maybe it's because Otto's been stuck on the ship, so that's all he knows. And like he's seen humans like decompose pretty much. Whereas Wally, he's like seen the Earth kind of change. And he's had more things to pick through, more exposure to like cars and rubber ducks. I think there's film. there's definitely an argument to be made for that, that Wally, that Otto has become more self-sufficient than Wally has because, yeah, he hasn't had that outside stimulation. Yeah. The psychology in me. It's like, ooh. <laughs> Breaking down the psychology of a robot. Yeah. Wow. Wow. This is the future, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an interesting question that the movie raises too like um do you think humans would be able to coexist in this symbiotic way in the future at some point because it seems like the humans are very 
they're, dependent. they're dependent on the robots. They yeah. don't so much live and cooperate together, but it's very, help, I've fallen and, I, and I'm too fat to get back into my chair. I need a robot to help me out. Yeah. It isn't until the end where like the credits, you see them and the robots working together. But until that point where they kind of had to break through and come back, realize they can survive without the robots or they can work together. Well, I think it's a message that both humans and technology need to grow to a point before they can hope to work together. Totally. Because, I mean, when they take Wally and Eve to the repair ward and you see these robots that are, quote, defective, I mean, are they really defective, though? Because these are the ones that end up cooperating and leading with the humans and Wally and Eve to rebuild the earth they're like the robots with personality so they're like the robots that don't fall in line to like the established order so maybe that's a call maybe that's Otto. he only wants like order and discipline and everything staying the same yeah Otto is kind of like in the lego movie Otto is like um the big brother of this movie yeah big brother's watching always watching (laughs) (laughs) although i mean when is Wally going to show all his robot friends back on Earth? I mean, he's gonna, is he going to take him to the Valley of Dead Wallies? Oh, so depressing. Yeah. And he's like a scavenger, too. He just like rips up. I want some new tracks. I forgot about that scene when I watched this. Because then you see, I'm like, wait a minute. What's all the Dead Wallies? And I'm like, Ooh. he's been there for 700 years. He uses his dead friends to get parts from them. That's what they're there for. He is adaptable. He's a creative thinker, and he survives. What a solid Darwinistic robot i not gonna lie i would like a version of wally in my house if it does get to that and i don't mean just a roomba i want a robot that looks like wally that speaks like him and has his personality i would love to have something like that in my home as like a helper robot i wonder if you could go to disney world and find one of those it's probably a guy in a costume yeah probably or or it's something like you know bb8 that's not really there right not really designed to help you just to screw up do do you want wally in your house chris thinking how much he like messes things up the only efficient thing he's good at is like compacting trash into a cube well it would be better i mean at least wally wouldn't poop in the house like a german shepherd would (laughs) that's true i've never owned it Have, have you had a german shepherd no i've had dogs but they poop in the house. Dogs poop in the house. Oh, that's. Are you sucks. unfamiliar with how potty training dogs work? I once again, I've never had a dog, so I am unaware of the. Yes, throws. they are. Gonna, they are going to poop in the house before they learn to ask you to go outside to poop. You don't just like put a diaper on them. Have you ever <laughs> seen a dog in a diaper? I actually have. Okay, I don't want to <laughs> unpack that because that seems like it could be its own conversation. Uh, I had a weird childhood. Let's just say that. Clearly, you saw a dog walking around in diapers. Right? Uh, but anyways, back to Wally. But we've been kind of <laughs> glossing over the other important part of this film. We've been Eve. glossing over Eve. Yes. Eve Eve is so cool in this film. She's got a blaster. She's really the only one with a weapon yeah. in this film. But again... uh, how do we even know that Eve is for sure a female robot? I guess because Wally says Eva and it's a female voice. I don't know. I mean, there's no genders in robots. I mean, assuming that Eve is female, she is definitely the strongest female character totally. in the film. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't yeah. suffer anybody's crap. She's almost, I don't want to say oblivious to Wally's affections, but she just, she kind of brushes them off yeah. so much. She doesn't realize how adorable he is until he comes back to save her, and then Mm -hmm. she sees like the playback security footage. Oh, he got struck by lightning twice for me. 
Yeah. You adorable little guy. Well, she sees that how much he cares for her. He does. In this odd world where two robots somehow find love. Yeah. She was brokenhearted from her last boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, but if <laughs> we're going to- Yeah, her last boyfriend was a paper shredder. <laughs> yeah. God, he was just a douchebag. He found the nice Roomba on the ground and <laughs> took her on a nice oil date <laughs> where they sipped. Yeah, they had oil shakes. Yeah. <laughs> eating oh. old screws. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what robots eat. I would like to see that movie. The robots, like, after they're done helping the humans when everyone goes to sleep, they've got, like, clubs, Daft Punk music well, playing. Well, I don't even know if it would be that. Maybe it would just be music that has lyrics that are just binary. Right. You know, zero one, <laughs> zero, zero, one, one. Oh, my gosh. They put on pie, and the song just goes forever. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that would be amazing. You could picture a bunch of robots in a nightclub just dancing to a pie song. <laughs> Doing the robot. <laughs> All right, that's a bit ham-fisted there. <laughs> that was the obvious one. Uh, was, someone um, had to and say And I'm not it. surprised that you went for it. <laughs> of course. I'm omnipresent, baby. Oh, boy, there it goes again. Uh, high speed to uh, Jeff Garland in this film for yeah. the voice of the captain. He I love was, his voice, man. He was unintentionally funny in this. Yes, he was. Like, every word that came out of his mouth, he's like, what is C? Ooh, pizza. <laughs> Define hoedown. <laughs> I love how he switches from lunch to breakfast. The announcements are the only thing I get to do. <laughs> Come on, Otto. And he's just like reading it on like a television news reporter. I love this movie, man. It's so good. It's so delightful. And I think one of the better, the more delightful scenes in the film is when they're out in space and- yeah. Wally and oh. Eve start dancing with each other. Yeah, I couldn't find a lens flare in this film. Because no. I, I wasn't sure if you were going to say that was. No. But I love it. Like with the uh, fire extinguisher. Yeah. It's just no. floating it, around. To call that a lens flare would do this Trash. film a great disservice. It would. Because you get to see them slowly love each other. And <sighs> she like thinks that he's dead because they launch Wally back. I think for both of them, Wally finally... For him, the the plant is not just a trinket anymore. Mm -hmm. He recognizes that it's important to Eve and it's important to yeah. the mission. And Eve recognizes this change in Wally where, okay, he's not the pathetic robot anymore who's doing everything he can to please me. He's a very important person isn't the right word, but he's a very important figure mm -hmm. in you know my existence. Yeah. Together, they complete each other. And plus, the music is very simple. It's not super. Cool. It's not waltzy. It's more. No. It's more conveys this sense of wonder between the two. They're floating in between the engines as they're firing on the ship, and they're dancing. And you see Wally's fire extinguisher trail, and <laughs> Eve's little beautiful imagery. Oh, absolutely. Th that has to stand out in this film. It's a necessary part of the film. It is. The film overall is paced very well. So, oh yes. Totally agree. I was never bored mm -hmm. while watching this. I was so just invested. Pixar does a great job of doing this with all of their films, making very tight, well-paced films. Because for the most part, their films are marketed towards kids. And kids, as we all know, don't have the best attention span. So how do you keep kids interested in a movie like this? You have to keep it moving and you have to keep the story uh, I don't want to say simplistic because I feel like that that's almost an insulting term, but you have to put it, put a film like this into images and terms that everybody can understand and connect with. I agree with that. And the adults can like it too. 
because like kids, they wouldn't understand, you know, the futuristic climate change elements, corporation elements and all that, the weight that comes with it. So it, they, they fired on all cylinders. Absolutely. This was incredible. But this film does have uh, religious symbolism in it. You and your religious symbolism. Come on, tell me. <laughs> Where's Jesus and the devil in this film? Well, I, come on. Okay, well, it's not that deep. Well, obviously, <laughs> What did God do to you, Chris? God didn't do anything <laughs> to me. I, don't, I, didn't, I couldn't find any religious symbolism. Oh, well, you missed Eve. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Come on. That was right in front of your face, Eve. Oh, man. Eve, come on. It was so coincidence, man. Eve, kinda rep- Eve is definitely representative of the dove in the, in the story of Noah and the Ark <laughs> finding the olive branch. Oh my god. I am not criticizing the film for this though. Let me make that clear. I'm saying that this film actually did religious symbolism very well. They did. When you look at previous films we discussed, like episode one, The Phantom Menace, where it's beating you over the head with religious symbolism and images. He is the virgin birth. (laughs) Wally doesn't do that. No. I didn't even think about it like that. But then again, I don't really think about religion normally so <laughs> well Andrew it's Stanton, not in the back of my mind andrew stanton is a christian and i can totally understand that that his beliefs would be present in this movie because ah, cool you're influenced by what you believe and mm-hmm. why not i mean and he did this in a way that's not ham-fisted and is yeah. gonna beat people over the head with it i mean i didn't recognize him when i first saw it and it was only when you know i got older that it- i recognized the religious symbolism yeah. And I have no problem with it in this movie. I absolutely do not. <laughs> All I'm doing is pointing it out for our listeners. <laughs> Chris hates so you, religion, everyone. I do not hate I'm religion. Please do not. <laughs> Don't at me. I do not hate religion. <laughs> hey, whatever you believe that keeps prevents you from stabbing me in line at the ATM, <laughs> God bless us all. <laughs> yes. And also you. <laughs> that That's a good point, though. I like how you broke that down. He did. This is probably the best that we've seen so far of religious symbolism in a film that isn't ham-fisted or so like hokey. Well, the, we get it. All right. The most obvious it. symbols we see are the character who's being who's dying and he holds his arms out in the, in the Jesus pose, like in Platoon. Platoon, <laughs> Twelve Monkeys. We saw that. That mm-hmm. was an example from our show. Mm-hmm. And then Star Wars Episode One. That's where it was most prevalent. Thank you, George. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of George Lucas. Pixar came from Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. 1979. They were a branch of Lucasfilm, so... I bet he wishes he was still in on that. Oh, I'm sure. Well, come on. He already made billions off of Disney, but he could have more billions. All the... <laughs> but then Steve Jobs came in, so... Uh, George missed out, man. Yeah, I narrowly missed out. I do want to talk about this. I mean, how is this movie different from Pixar's previous films? From Ratatouille? cars and all that well cars ratatouille a bug's life because uh, at this point we've had two toy story films the incredibles came out a few years before this mm-hmm. so in what ways do you think this differs this, from the previous those previous ones for me well number one it's sci-fi number mm-hmm. two that's um, why it's on our show yes <laughs> number two for me it, they did so much with so little dialogue which mm-hmm. is just something so rare nowadays that you can never see it was so simple but complex and to me, that's like the best films that I could ever see. Whereas like Ratatouille, it seemed a bit like they pushed the comedic elements. Cars, there were so many features with the voices. So it's kind of like the Lego film where you're hearing, oh, there's Morgan Freeman. Oh, there's Chris Pratt. Cars this- was a vehicle to just sell 
merchandise though yeah this there really wasn't i mean uh outside of all the apple nods where you could like they're basically <laughs> yeah. like buy apple but this was when steve jobs was still alive so i don't blame him but to me it was like a great love story yeah it made me somehow enjoy two robots falling in love and saving the world there's definitely seen more like a passion project than yeah in previous pixar films and it this it, is it, like it, it the shape out. of water in space I mean, it was just so well done. Well, Wally is a better film than The Shape By of Water. Far a better film. Uh, I mean, The Shape of Water was just a remake of Splash. <laughs> Dude, yes, it was. And you'll no know. No one ever agrees with me. Ever. And you'll know it when you see it, folks. That's all I'm gonna say. Check it out. Just check it out. That is not our movie recommendation, though. How about you, bud? I agree with all of your points. Um, I do want to ask this though. Do you think it felt preachy at any points? Because there is that strong anti-consumerism, pro-environment message to it. Yeah, that's what I picked up. Uh, instead, I guess that's what I was focused on outside of the religious symbolism. Because like I'm all into that. So for me, it was in my wheelhouse where I'm like, yeah, down with the corporations. Yeah, environmentalism. <laughs> but in a sense, it, I could see it being a little preachy. Like, yes, we get it. Climate change is a thing. Yes, fitness. We get it, corporations. But it wasn't to the point where, like, it was in your face smacking you. But there were elements there throughout where it kind of brought you back. Like, hey, okay. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Though, with all of that in mind, we've been talking about our love of Wally. Let's break down the legacy oh, of this film. Yes. We're getting into it a little early that we normally would, but. To list the accolades that this film was nominated and Crushed. awarded for, we could spend about an hour just discussing those. But uh, I do want to talk about when this film came out in the timeline for Pixar. So I consider this to be right in the middle of Pixar's golden age. Because mm -hmm. the year before Ratatouille came out in 2007, 2008 had this film, 2009, the very next year, had Up. And in 2010, there was Toy Story 3. Yeah. So all of those solid. films were major box office and critical successes. Mm -hmm. And here's the best part. All four of those films won Academy Awards for Best Animated Feature. Oh, well, they deserved it. Every single one of them. But though Wally, -E, it spurred a debate for Best Picture. Yes. Because everyone thought that it should be nominated for Best Picture. Well, here are some of the other categories it was nominated in. It was nominated for Best Original Score, mm -hmm. Best Original Song for, I think, the song that plays during the end credits, Down to Earth. Yeah. And then Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Original Screenplay. Oh, yeah. Shout outs to that Best Song. Peter Gabriel, man. Yeah. Genesis. And uh, like we said, it did win for Best Animated Feature. It did. Um, I think they lost, though, because that was when Slumdog Millionaire came out. Yeah. And I mean, that just... And this kicked off the debate of nominating animated films for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Because in the very next year and the year after that, Up and Toy Story 3, respectively, were both nominated for Best Picture. But I guess, because like me and Jeremy were looking at each other, did they deserve it? Or was it kind of like the Academy being like, there you go. I think we'll they give you these two, but I, like, because nothing else since then has been nominated for Best Picture. Well, Up was the first animated film since Beauty and the Beast that got nominated for Best Picture. So yeah. there was a solid um, like 15 year gap where there wasn't any animated films considered for the category. And they didn't even add the category of Best Animated Film until 2002, I think. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So Finding Nemo was on. Even there. when we had the Disney classics or the, the, 
the Disney Renaissance in the 90s, which would have been the perfect time to add that category, it wasn't there. And hence why a lot of people think that the Beauty and the Beast and the Little Mermaid, they hold those up as the pillars of the Disney Renaissance because though I think the Little Mermaid did get best picture consideration Mm -hmm. and Beauty and the Beast was the only one of those films that came out in the 90s that were nominated for best picture. That's crazy. Whereas there were so many great films after that. Yeah. Aladdin. That weren't nominated. Like Aladdin, Mm -hmm. uh, The Lion King, Pocahontas. Mulan. There you go. If Best Animated Feature was around for Mulan, it would have won. Yeah. But that category wasn't there because it's not recognizing the hard work of those animators. And like we were saying, because I think if you want to find out for like actors how hard they work, Tom Hanks like gives interviews how like you have to come in and out of the studio because now they do all the animation and then they bring the actors in for like a month, two months so they can see like what's going on. But I guess back in the day, they'd do like half of it, bring the actors in, another half. Well, you know the deal with Tom Hanks, right? What's Tom Hanks? Uh, Tom Hanks, actually, if he can't make it into record, he'll have his brother go in for it. Yes! Because his his brother sounds exactly like him. Dude, his brother is the voice on the Woody Dolls. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, which, which high speed for Tom Hanks, man. He, throwing some dough to his brother, being like, yo, here's some cash. Get you a couple You mil. know, when you've got Tom Hanks clout, you can do whatever you want. He is the man. He's probably one of the nicest people in the world. Mm-hmm. Or he's an exceptional liar. No, I think <laughs> I think it's genuine with Tom Hanks. Hopefully, right? Something would have come out about him by now if it wasn't real. Yeah. He but, doesn't tip. <laughs> He's the worst. But this movie did come out in 2008. And in looking at that year in terms of movie releases, this came out in a relatively stacked year of movies. Mm-hmm. I think it was the ninth highest grossing film of 2008 with over $500 million. But here are some of the movies that were outpaced by it. Uh, the Dark Knight. Classic. Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> what? Madagascar. Quantum of Solace, which was a, <laughs> the, the James Bond movie at the time. And Iron Man, the first uh, edition what? in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which Solid. we didn't know was a thing at the time. Yeah. And it was outpaced by two other animated films, but yet- I cannot wh- believe Kung Fu Panda beat this film. Jack Black? Well, I guess it's like- Well, you know what? Wally has the last laugh because people- remember Wally more than they do Kung Fu Panda. Well, and Wally, Kung, and Wally won an Oscar. Yes. Kung Fu Panda did not. No. It's like Jack Black's biop right there. Kung Fu Panda, though, also has like three films now. Yeah. So they kind of branched out. Whereas Wally, I guess they wanted a sequel. Like people keep like asking the director, hey, can you make a sequel? And he's like, I'm good. It's it's basically a love story, and I don't want to taint it. Yeah. There's like, no need there's to do a sequel for this movie. Yeah, because the credits just show. They work together. They rebuild, repopulate Earth. There's nothing else. That'd be weird. That'd just be weird. Like Otto comes back. Someone yeah. turns him on. The ship takes over. But here are some of my favorite accolades in looking up what this movie won. Mm-hmm. So it was the, actually the first animated feature that won the Los Angeles Film Critics Association Award for Best Picture. So that's a very prestigious award. Um, in the same year that the film came out, Wally was listed at number 63 on Empire's poll of the 100 greatest movie characters. So that was a poll, like I said, in the same year the movie came out, yet Wally is already pretty high up in that list. That's pretty good. That's pretty impressive. You know who also loved this movie? Who? Time Magazine called it their best movie of 2008. Rock on. And ranked it number one in best movies of the decade in 2010. Wow. Mm-hmm. Beating out like Beat- all the Marvel films, 
Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Beating out a lot of great yeah. movies that came out during Finding that time. Finding Nemo. I mean, wow. <laughs> and, solid you time. And finally, in 2016, Wally was voted 29th out of 100 films. On the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> regarded as the best of the 21st century in a panel of 177 film critics. Now, that's according to a BBC poll. But you have some gripes with that. Yeah, there are a <laughs> lot of films that were ahead of Wally that I don't agree with. Like, what was that one that you kept saying? Inside Lewin Davis. I, I, is, I think I've seen the poster for that, but I've never seen it's it. A, it's a weird Coen Brothers New York bohemian folk music movie. Granted, it has Oscar Isaac in it, which I love Oscar Isaac. Before Star Wars. Before Star Wars. Yeah. But I don't think that Inside Lewin Davis should be above Wally in a list like that. I feel like Oscar Isaac would disagree with you. Well, Oscar Isaac has got his own millions that count after doing the Star Wars films. and But I personally think it's too soon in the century to be doing a list like that, though. Yeah. I, I mean, mean if, you, if you give it a few more year couple more decades in 2050 then you can do a list like that because you have a bigger sample size you have more critics with their opinions it's too soon to be doing a list like that granted wally does deserve the accolades it has received in the 11 years that it's been out oh yeah and i'd be willing to bet that we will see this movie get preserved in the library of congress because without a doubt it's timeless cause, yeah because to me that is the ultimate honor that a film can receive is being being preserved that no matter what happens to any media anywhere it will still exist there will always be a copy for the aliens exactly <laughs> we'll send it on the gold disc of pixar films and send it out into space <laughs> like please watch this before you judge the human race <laughs> we build cute robots were we right? Is this what Earth is like? Well, also, I mean, we're we can develop robots like this. Yet we're devoting time to developing robot dogs. I mean, what's that needed for? Well, people maybe don't want dogs pooping in their house. Man, good callback there, <laughs> dude. They put Boyhood as number five on this list. Now, Boyhood, it, it, it's too soon to be putting that in the top five of anything. That's a great movie. It is wrong, but it's just too soon to put that in any type of top five conversation. People probably like that film because it was recorded for like a decade. So, ooh, the time spent. It's like, hey, man, just because you have time on a project doesn't mean it's good. Just saying, man. So anyway, with all that in mind, what do we say we rate this film, Sean? I'm down. So here on the Force Fed Sci-Fi Podcast, we have a four-tiered rating system. We have a would not watch. We have a would watch category. We have a would own. You would add it to your own personal collection, and you would- Finally, you would host viewing parties that you love this movie so much and you want to share your love with it by having people over over a conversation of cheese dip and crackers. So, Sean, what did you think of Wally? I would own it. And I do own it. Mm-hmm. So that is my rating. I loved it. It was timeless, like I've said. It's just great writing, great pacing. It's everything a film should be. But what's holding it back from hosting a viewing party? Hosting a viewing party? Because everyone I know have seen it. Maybe if I had kids, <laughs> but I guess if you have kids, you kind of well. Isn't like every movie night with kids a, like a, a viewing party anyway? I, that's what I mean. So I can't really say. See, uh, this is where we're gonna differ because I would host viewing parties. You would for host Wally. viewing parties for Wally. Yes. See, my viewing parties tend to have alcohol, and I just wouldn't want to ruin this film by being drunk. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. See, <laughs> maybe for you, but I would still host a viewing party. Well, good. I mean, it's a, it was a great movie in a year full of great movies. Its message is still relevant even after 10 years. We care more for these characters 
than we probably care for in any other Pixar movie or in probably even any other movies that we've discussed previously Definitely. for the show. By far. Um, it's able to create a compelling story with minimal dialogue. Mm-hmm. Great sound. It's great. Everything about it. We, we can't sing the praises enough of this movie. Yeah. I don't really have any gripes, to be honest. So anyway, I think that about wraps it up for Wally. So yeah. what do you say we pick our movie for next time? Ooh, Major Samantha. We are, We're yes. coming for you, baby. Yeah. Between a list of one in 118 science fiction films on our list, being we need the help of our friendly random number generator AI, Major Samantha. So between one and 118, she has selected number 27. Which is a 2005 time travel slash evolution misadventure titled A Sound of Thunder. This already sounds like so much going on. There's so much going on. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, let's do it, man. So that'll be the movie for next time. And if you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Forcefed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. And please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, ForcefedSciFi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for myself and Sean Cole, we will see you next time. Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.